0: The following speaker share from Kate was recorded on December 22nd, 2022. Hi, I'm Kate. I'm an adult child. I'm just letting that thank you greeting in, um, hard for me, but I'm trying to, and uh, really, really grateful to be here and to see your faces or your little squares with names on them or your pictures, Just. I love it, it makes me so happy. Um, So I thought I would read from uh, chapter six, Discovering Your Inner Teenager from the Loving Parent Guidebook. Um, I have more to say about this, but let's do this first. Um, The sometimes turbulent teenage years are an essential time to learn how to establish and test boundaries. Our teenage years are when we begin to the process of individuation. Learning to separate from our families and discover our own identities in dysfunctional families, unclear boundaries made it hard to know whether we were living our own life or people pleasing for the approval of others. Our inner developed reactive ways of coping with these dysfunctional situations and unclear boundaries. Sometimes it was panicked heroism and an overdeveloped sense of responsibility, sometimes rage, defensiveness and cynicism, and in some cases, hopelessness and numbing behaviors. Our inner teenager may demonstrate some of these behaviors more than others, or they may rely on some combination of them. This teenager with their intense feelings and behaviors still lives inside us and reacts from the pain, resentment and outrage of not being seen or heard as a person in their own right. The good news is that we can individuate in a healthy way now. We are already doing so by disentangling from dysfunctional authority figures, even if they operate only in our heads, who undermine our ability to care for our own needs and set boundaries. As we listen less to critical voices and rely on our loving parent instead, we create an opportunity to lessen our inner teen's reliance on reactive behaviors. Our inner teenager learned these behaviors when they did not know what they needed. Our loving parent can help them feel their feelings and uncover their needs the way they would have if our families had been healthy. This will allow our inner teen to release their own patterns. Becoming our own loving parent allows us to address the buried pain, which is the source of our inner teenager's reactivity. By addressing this pain, our inner teen's compulsion to react subsides and trust in our loving parent grows. With the help of our ACA support group, our loving parent can give our inner teenager the support and guidance they've long needed. Our inner teen then grows into an invaluable member of our inner family. They help us access and honor our inner knowing and stay true to our boundaries. Through this process of nurturance and integration, we can emerge with a liberating sense of who we are, what we need, and how we can get it through the loving parent's gentleness, humor, love, and respect. Your inner teenager may not welcome you with open arms. That's okay. Their mistrust, anger, or indifference toward you will soften as you continue to show up for them. Give them space and they will connect when they are ready. In all these situations, the important emotional needs of being seen, heard, respected, and valued weren't met for many of us in our teenage years. We needed guidance and support to individuate, learn to set boundaries and respect other boundaries. Those unmet needs left us with pain and rage that live on in us today in the form of our inner teenager. With support, our inner teen can release this rage and their positive traits can come to the fore. You may find that your inner teen is authentic, brave, resourceful or direct, deeply connected to your inner knowing. That's just, this is an arc to the way that that's written. It feels a lot like the way the ACA promises kind of build to this like happy, joyous, and free sort of overture. It just lifts my heart to hear. I took out a couple of passages just because I wanted to focus on the stuff that is most meaningful to me. I'm actually working a laundry list trait workbook group right now, so this is like on deck for me. But I have been running into my inner teenager she's been showing up and when i got quiet and thought about today and the invitation to speak i thought i think that's what i need to do i think i need to honor her i inner little kate is gonna have my full love and attention as long as she needs it to my dying breath if necessary but she's doing really great and I'm not punishing her for doing really great by pivoting, but I'm finding I have more. And so the more that I have, I am starting to have room for my inner teenager. And I don't know if she's showing up because it's time. She's showing up because I'm so conscious of my feelings and in my body that she's like, great, you can finally hear what I've been trying to tell you. Now I have more to say. or or just like the phase of the moon. I don't know, but she's she's been here a lot lately. So I think the first time I heard her was probably a couple of months ago. I I was feeling something. I was feeling some agitation. I pictured a very, you know, scared little person inside of me and instead of what she usually does, which is just cry or need to be held, She was so mad at me. Oh my God. She was so mad at me. She was like, fuck, pardon my language, but she said this, fuck off. Who are you to tell me that it's all going to be okay? You weren't fucking here. I was here by myself. I had to deal with all this fucking bullshit without you. And now you show up and you just want me to feel better. Fuck off. You don't know what it's like. You don't know how hard it was. And I, I don't even know how to explain the gratitude I felt for recognizing that anger as a gift, recognizing it as organic and understandable and right and appropriate, and not needing her to be anything other than that. And I just said to her, "You'll be as angry as you need to be for as long as you need to be, and I will work on the critical inner parent and keeping her off your back. And I will try to make this as safe a space for you as I possibly can." Um, and she's sort of, you know, she's been in the room a little bit, but she's been sort of quiet. And then yesterday, or no, maybe it was uh, Tuesday night, I was having a conversation with my partner and I, I had a question I needed to ask him, wasn't a particularly emotional question. Um, I just needed a factual answer, uh, but I'd been having a lot of feelings. And he responded to the fact that I'd been having feelings earlier in the day. We're pretty enmeshed, and it's a thing that we're working on. And he kept trying to make the conversation about my feelings. And he kept trying to go past the factual question into, like, what was really going on? And what's really been going on with us lately? And I'm using these finger quotes to honor teen Kate because she was not having it. That was not what she came in there to talk about. And the way that he was talking about the way things have been going or what he thought was going on did not reflect her experience, did not feel true to her. She knew what her truth was and she literally could not leave it. She had to correct him. She had to advocate for herself. She kept saying, I hear that that's what this seems like to you. I know that's what you are getting from this but that's not how it felt to me that's not where my head is at right now that's not what i'm feeling i hear that's what you see but i just want you to know that my intention was this does that mean you're wrong no but i want you to know what my intention was and she got no space in that conversation she tried she advocated she tried she advocated she kept running into whatever my partner's reasons are for not being able to hear her, not being able to reflect back what she was seeing. And I got more, I felt more and more full of upset. And I could tell this conversation will not give me any recognition, any space to have these feelings. I'm gonna talk about this in therapy. I'm gonna talk about this in meetings. I'm gonna journal about this. I'm gonna turn this over to my higher power. Not in a like tattletally, You know, I'm going to make you so sorry. No, just this room won't, the room I'm in with my partner, this room won't hold what I'm feeling. I will take this to someplace where it can be heard. And I have, and I continue to do so. And it's one of the reasons why I felt like my inner teen was the person who needed to be heard tonight. Um, But the most amazing thing about that was how sure she was, how clear she was. Nope that is not what i did nope i know that might be what it seems like but that's not what i intended nope that's not my version of reality that's yours and i honor that you have that right and she was never personal she never called names she never used you sentences she kept saying i but like that kind of clarity and certainty is so rare in my life and I'm going to talk a little bit now about how it started, but I just wanted to like start by letting her know that she's that she's here. This is for her, and I'm going to try to represent her to the best of my ability. So the memory that comes up for me when I want to explain to you why it's such a gift that I have that clarity is a memory of a birthday. I am a teenager. I'm in high school. My parents have a little house, a very, very little house in Michigan. We call it the cottage, that's pretty accurate. It's not where we live, it's a vacation property. It's on a road that was a dirt road when they bought the house. It got paved when I was at some point in grade school. And it's about a 25 minute walk from a used bookstore in one direction and a kind of borderline gas station convenience store, doesn't even sell magazines in the other direction. and we were there every summer with my dad the person who could drive and have as a car on the weekends and the rest of the time just me and my siblings and my mom in this cottage like cut off from the outside world and i don't know if you can see these books behind me but like this is not wallpaper this is who i am i'm a huge reader i'm just so curious and i've always been and this cottage is like truly one of my least favorite places on earth. It's, I won't characterize it as a hellhole, but it's just a place with a lot of emotional suffering for me. And the weekend of one of my birthdays, maybe my 16th birthday, I don't remember, very typically I have it blacked out. My mom starts packing up to go to the cottage. And I'm like, what are you doing? Why? What are you doing? Why are you going to the cottage? And she's like, oh, you know, she must have had some reason, like, my birthday's in april so maybe she wanted to put the screens in or she wanted to take the winter windows out or whatever but she was determined we were going to the cottage that weekend and i did not want to go and i did not know why and i didn't know how to say i don't want to go and i didn't know how to say that is the most fucked way to celebrate my birthday imaginable have you seen me I am 16, I'm 17 since I was five. We've been going up to this house in Michigan and I have been suffering from the lack of stimulation in that house because no one pays attention to anyone and no one is present and no one is checked in. And all I could do was just feel this weight in me. Like, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this, I don't wanna do this, but I couldn't figure out how to say it. Couldn't figure out how to put it into words. And I think also I sort of knew it wasn't gonna be heard and I was as upset as I was, I wasn't gonna do myself the injury of saying something that wasn't gonna be heard or honored. So this clarity is like such, such a gift. So um, my experience of recovery is that I I frequently felt in my family, like there's something going on, but I couldn't figure out what. And I would go and look online and I'm like, my parents are just too high functioning and I am not smart enough to discern that what they are are addicts. So I just could never find like the meeting where I felt like the first day I go there, I'll be able to go. Yeah, I am this because my parents do this, or I am this because my family does this. And then I found a program called under earners anonymous, um, which I don't love the name. I don't feel like under earning really covers it. It's more like under being but it was my gateway 12 step program. And it was a place where I could get my, my training wheels and I could get used to 12 step and I could get used to meetings and timed shares and the commitments and service. Um, and I did find some recovery, but when I found a sponsor and I started doing my steps, I hit my fourth step and I ground to a halt because I was in a lot of shame and a lot of self-loathing. And I couldn't, I couldn't do a, a personal inventory because I just would keep going into a spiral of self abuse. My critical inner parent was like, "This is fantastic! Did you make me a homework assignment for me to do all my favorite things?" I didn't know it was my critical inner parent at the time, but like that, I the only thing I was good at was being shitty to myself. So, um, as it happened. My sponsor lost their sponsor and they felt they couldn't sponsor anyone anymore. So I was, you know, poking around looking and I found ACA. And I realized pretty quickly, I need to focus on this, making this my primary program. And I'll just keep doing UA as like an accessory program. And that's more or less how it works. And that was February 18th, 2020. And um, there was an in-person meeting at the farmer's market in Los Angeles that did a lawn no a, a step workbook group and they closed the meeting at the fourth step. So after that you can't join it. And I think I was there the very last week before they closed it. And it was such my higher power just being like, I don't I don't know Kate, but you gotta go. You have a place to be. I need you to get in a room. And that room, iterations of those people have been the bedrock of the Zoom rooms that I have been in ever since. And, you know, February 18th is not even a month before everything shuts down. We're in Zoom rooms like barely a month later. If I hadn't found the rooms in person, I don't know how I would have found them online, but it was time, I was ready. Um, And more and more things kind of began to fall into place for me. Um, I got a diagnosis of attention deficit disorder which made a tremendous amount of sense once uh i discovered the existence of what's called inattentive type um it's the type where you can't make yourself be interested in something if you're not but if you are interested the whole world goes away and my life i had continuously chosen sort of high pressure, adrenalized situations that made me care intensely about the thing right in front of me. And it had kept me high functioning until the pandemic and my own professional success lifted that from me. And suddenly I could get nothing done because I was trapped in my own perfectionism and trapped in my enmeshment with my partner and trying to prove to him that I was doing the best I could. And um, I had found some recovery in UA, but I hadn't found this acceptance of myself or this acceptance of my trauma. And I'm working trait 10 right now with my group and doing questions about what is your understanding of your trauma before you found ACA and what is your understanding of your trauma today. And this is probably very strongly related to where my inner teen enters the story because it's the silence that I didn't notice. It was the absence of, um, what are you reading, Kate? What's it about? What do you like about it? What's your favorite part? Is there, do you like this writer? What else have they written? Do you like these kinds of stories? I have like very clear memories of librarians being like, oh, if you love the story about teenage girls and witchcraft, have I got a book for you. Um, just like, my whole reading list is just like librarians being like well if you love mysteries with teenagers i have a tip for you but like my own parents couldn't do that and i teach uh writing and i teach three classes and one of them is a freshman sophomore level class with people who've never done any kind of screenwriting and once a week i just say to them what have you been watching What have you been reading? What have you been listening to? What have you lived through? What have you smelled that stuck with you? What billboard did you drive by? Just what's the first thing you think about when I ask you what's in your head right now? And they're like, oh, I had a job where a client was being a real jerk, or I had the best tamales of my entire life, or I am really into this new album, or I'm playing this game. Once it was, I'm really into go, I've been playing D&D for the first time in years and I'm loving it. It's not hard to ask somebody what they care about. And I was right there in front of my parents for 18 years and they almost never asked me. So the trauma that I, I have seen through ACA is that silence. And the inner parenting that I've had to do, the loving inner parenting work I've had to do is to be in conversation. Um, hey, it's okay. I love you. I know you're having big feelings. What kinds of feelings are you having right now? I think you're feeling sad. That's okay, you can feel sad. And when the critical inner parents shows up and like just is like rolling up her sleeves and she's like, this is gonna be good. I'm like, I know you think this is helping. I know you think this is helping. And I know this is fun for you, but it is not for me and it is not helping. So please do this elsewhere where little Kate can't hear you. And if you come up with something you think is really helpful, we'll circle back and we'll listen to you. I think of her like this like Navy seal who's like really battle-hardened. I don't think of her as a parent. I think of her as like a Navy seal, she's like a scar a patch and like missing a finger. She's seen some shit, man. She's seen some shit and she's gonna get me out. She's got like little Kate under her arm and she's just like ducking and weaving. And the whole time she's like, shut up, be quiet, keep your head down. Do you know what's going to happen if you're not quiet? And like, great job, Navy Seal Kate. Great job, but not necessary right now. And the adrenaline that spikes through me and the anxiety that I feel and then the crash that happens when the adrenaline is gone, also not helpful. And I can even have conversations with her about that. Like, this is the kind of thing that makes me really adrenalized, makes us both really adrenalized. And then we're gonna be exhausted and we're not gonna enjoy that at all. So I think we should just take it down a notch. So this, the, the space where that silence was in my childhood home got filled by this Navy SEAL sort of narrative of like, I've got to figure it figured out, I oh, know exactly I'm gonna keep you safe and i've been doing the self-talk and this kind of sort of showering myself with uh love and acceptance and um and then my inner teen shows up and she's so angry um it was trait 10 it was what's a time in your life when someone has treated you badly and you didn't show it and and some language of like sometimes we won't admit how we feel but we'll cover it with pseudo feelings so I started answering this question. The first thing that came up for me was like, kind of schadenfreude, glee, other people's misfortune mixed with a little bit of pity, like people who'd mistreated me. I have like all kinds of like, yeah, but then like this happened and like the universe took care of it for me. And like, I don't need to get invested in, in, in being angry at them because, you know, they've paid the price. And I was like, well, those are probably pseudo feelings, but I'm not going to fight with it. What's a feeling, a time when I felt bad, somebody treated me badly and I didn't show it? and I thought like one sentence, which was my mother-in-law talking about me and my partner having kids. And I felt that adrenaline course through my body. And I got so angry that I could only just write about how angry I was. I couldn't even write about the time. And I know now that emotions like that will surface again and again if they're not dealt with, and I have a therapist, and I have meetings. So I've been circling back to it. And this is where I think my inner teenager is like, yeah, I have things to say because the reason we don't have kids is because I knew all along that we needed not to have kids unless things changed. It was her decision because I was nine when my parents had a pair of fraternal twins. They were the Fourth and fifth of the kids that they had, and I was babysitting for them before I was 11. And so there's these two people whom I love so much, who from age nine to 18, I am their caretaker and I'm not a great caretaker. I'll take it further. I'm abusive. I'm shitty. I'm exactly the kind of not great caretaker you get when you take a 13-year-old with no integrity of personality or authenticity or sense of abundant love for herself and you put her in charge of toddlers. So, I've made amends to them many, many times. I'll do it again. No one but me is in recovery, so they don't even really understand how meaningful that is to me. But I am a godmother to my brothers, little boy. I'm a godmother to my sister's firstborn, Maggie. And when I told my sister about this conversation with my mother-in-law, her love language is to get angry. And she said, that's bullshit. Anyone who knows you would know you'd be a great parent. That's complete bullshit. I hope that gets figured out. And she was right. I would be a great, great parent. But at the time of this conversation with my mother-in-law, the resources weren't there. The the point of the conversation I was having was that I had started IVF, which is pretty costly, and it wasn't covered by insurance. And I was paying for it with a job. Very typically for me, I had two very, very well-paying jobs simultaneously. One of them went away, so I only had the job that I was using to pay my bills. I didn't have the second job that was supposed to pay for IVF. And I'm like, I have appointments. I have like drugs in my fridge. I'm giving myself shots. So I call my mother-in-law and I say, oh, this job fell through and we're working on IVF and we don't have the money for like the next cycle of, I don't know, five appointments or whatever it is. And she said, what's the effect of it's a little blocked out because of the emotions that came up when it happened. Well, you know, you and Michael, my partner's name is Michael, you and Michael have made some choices. And one of the consequences of those choices is that you're probably not gonna have kids or that means you won't have kids. And the undercurrent was in no universe would you two ever reproduce. Should you reproduce? Should anyone ever let a small baby be in your custody because you couldn't handle it? Because you're too self-absorbed, you're too impulsive, you're too impetuous and you can't be trusted. And I just sort of like walled that off because I was having this conversation with her in my office at work. And like, I had like a meeting to go to in like four more minutes. So I just like shoved that in a little box and left it. And no, I didn't have IVF. And no, I never got pregnant. And last summer I had a nightmarish cancer scare and I had a full hysterectomy. So I'm in a union that now offers like $30,000 of covered IVF, but you have to have a uterus to use it. And I don't have one. Um, and I, I will say this whole subject is very triggering for me and hard for me to hear other people talk about. So if, I, if this is hard for people in this room, I apologize for not giving you more of a heads up because it makes my heart heavy. And I see my family less because they all have little kids and i can't always bring the like self-care to be around them and know that these are little humans that bear my siblings genome and they look like my siblings and they have my siblings personalities and they i can love them now as an adult and i can tell i would love little people who looked like my family members tomorrow if they showed up but they're not gonna So I'm working with this anger that I have about my mother-in-law and the way that she talked to me and the fact that I just kind of sat on it for 10 years. And teenage Kate is, you know, I feel like she can hear me having this conversation in the next room. And she's like, I'm just going to join the chat if it's okay, because I just want to remind you the time of this conversation, you are not in any kind of programs. and." You and your husband never consistently held pain work for, you know 12 months in a row. I'm a writer, he's a writer. We would have these spikes of you know feast and famine. Um, you had not yet separated from your family. So all of your siblings and your parents were drain on you emotionally. Um, your partner is still not really ready to have kids. so you would have just done this and been like a, a single mom, surrounded by like 40 relatives, none of whom can help, and all of whom are going to drain you, plus you won't really have enough money. So no, we, don't, we didn't ever try seriously to have kids because it would not have gone well. And I, I have to say, I honor teen Kate. I honor my inner teenager. She's not wrong. I didn't have the resources. And I, I was raised by people who are themselves children, and they've never integrated their sense of self they have no like continuity of experience they kind of like etch a sketch every couple of hours so you can like shower them with love and give them gifts or take them out to dinner and they'll be like well this is really great this is so sweet and within five hours it'll be like it never happened because they don't take it in because they don't they're not present they're just in a cycle of sort of numbing and distraction and these two people use their children as drugs they use them as a distraction they use them as a numbing device um, my mom in particular loves a little baby she loves like a love, little sleepy baby that she can kind of hold and let sleep on her it's her favorite thing um, because it doesn't have words and any kind of protest is purely biological which my mom being a nurse knows like babies don't poop their diapers because they don't like you so she can kind of like get where like the fussiness is not an attack on her character but the minute a child's no comes online the drug is shut off and that's why there's five of us in my family. is because as soon as my sense of self came online and I was sort of starting to separate from her, she was not getting high off of me anymore. She had to have another kid. And without recovery, that is the kind of parent I would have been. That is the kind of parent I would have been. And I knew in my heart, I was going to not do that. If I did nothing else, I was going to not do that to another human being. Because that sense of not being a person of not being seen of not being witnessed that's the silence that's that's the silence that the Navy SEAL has been so good at filling in and so this reading that I did today I I really responded to it because it, it talks about the anger and it talks about the individuation and it talks about like all the things the gifts of that teenager that like they're ready to fight in a way that a little kid isn't you know little kids tools are really like sulking and tantrums and tears and feeling bad and withdrawal teenagers are like ready for it you know they have this kind of confrontational quality to them and i didn't as a teen i mean never liked babysitting babysat 100 percent of the times i was asked Literally no one but me babysat for my siblings until I left for college, because I, I couldn't separate myself from the mission of my family to be a big group of people with kids. So this individuation that's happening for me where I'm talking to my partner and I'm, nope, that is your version. That's your version. There's nothing wrong with it, but it is yours. It's not mine. That is, that's my inner teenager. And I did not think she was in there. I didn't, I didn't know what was gonna happen for me, like where this inner Kate's little journey was gonna go. But um, the teenager has shown up and I'm just, I'm just trying to like do the things it says in the loving parent workbook in terms of loving her, supporting her, you know, reflecting back at her what I'm hearing. And I have such gratitude for all of the parents that I have witnessed in my lifetime since growing up, since being out in the world, the conversations of like, do you want to wear the red shoes or the blue shoes? I'll give you a choice, but we are putting shoes on and we're leaving. Oh, I this summer I stayed with my sister in an Airbnb for like a week with her two daughters, and they would their two little girls, like eight and five, maybe eight and six now, meltdowns oh yeah well we just need to let her have her feelings yeah well it's upsetting it's upsetting she wanted that and she didn't get it and that's disappointing and give her some time and then like sweetheart are you how are you feeling no you're still upset that's okay you're allowed okay we're gonna play a game if you want to come out you can but you have your feelings i what what how i don't know i don't understand but so much gratitude because it's the parenting of other people that i use so I'm not 100% sure on how to shift that into the parenting of a teenager, but I think it looks a lot like, okay, all right, you've 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 advocated for yourself so much in this conversation, but you have not gotten what you wanted, and we're both getting tired and upset, and like we wanna cry more now than we did at the start of this conversation. Let's go to bed. Let's go to bed. Let's get some sleep. Let's rest. Um, I've been doing some little bit of like numbing, distracting stuff associated with grading because I'm a teacher and I have this expectation of myself that I'm just going to like produce nothing but like Oscar award-winning screenwriters at the end of 15 weeks, no matter how little experience you've had. That can't happen. So I get into my toxic perfectionism. So I do things like uh, get my schedule ready for the next month or like just take little actions to be like, great job. That's action. That's forward momentum. Um, I did some step work today to sort of like get checked in before this call. Um, Yeah, I think I just want to like get quiet for a second. Okay. So the last thing from that reading was this language about authentic, brave, resourceful and direct. And my heart feels really full when I think about those words. And I did a little writing about what's coming up for me about those words, why they carry so much weight. And so I'll just give you like a little look at how teenage Kate, little inner teenage Kate has been like moving through the world went to the gas station because my tire was really low on air. Turned out the gas station had the world's most garbage air pump, but that's a side story. As I'm like getting ready to like pump air into my tires, an SUV pulls up and the driver of the SUV, a man in a sort of like fleece vest, we'll call him fleece vest for now, jumps the line, takes the air pump, starts pumping his air- tires full of air, which because the air pump is shitty, is not working, but we don't know that right now. So, He's like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And at one point I'm like, are you done? He's like, no, I'm not done. It's not filling up. I'm like, okay, well, I'll just wait then. I mean, you did see me here waiting, right? When you came up and he's like, I didn't know what you were doing. I'm like down on my knees with an air pressure thing, taking the little caps off my tires. I was doing shiatsu massage on my tires. No, I was waiting for air. So I'm like, okay, well, I was checking my air pressure and I hold up the tire gauge in my hand. And I had this. So, you know, and my husband kind of half understanding what's going on, like gets out and he's like, can I help? And I think he's talking to the guy, like, you seem like you need help. Uh, Maybe if I help you, then like my wife can get what she needs to get done, done. And I said to my husband, Michael, please don't come out here and be charming. I am in the middle of being an asshole in public. And the nicer you are, the clearer it is that I married way above my status, and I and you were married to like an unbelievable bitch on wheels. Do you mind? And that was my truth. I was being an asshole in public. And when Michael is charming like that, it does make me look bad. And he has no skin in the game because it's not his car and he doesn't drive. And he was the one who got cut off after doing this work. But I feel no regret about that i feel no embarrassment about that i'm like high five that's exactly right that's exactly what i was doing and like that guy whatever his experience was of any of this doesn't matter to me literally haven't thought about him since i just keep thinking like that was amazing i can't believe you owned what you were doing that's exactly right um then i will say that um, i I sort of had surgery, I didn't sort of, I had surgery uh, last Thursday, a week ago. Uh, just foot surgery, not that big a deal. I'm in a boot. Uh, but I turned it over to my higher power. I could face it without getting into catastrophe because my inner teenager is really brave. She's like, we're going to do this. And then the next thing we're going to do, if that turns out badly, we'll deal with that then. But we're not going to get into story about this. We're going to try this experience and see how it goes. Um, I think I also want to talk a little bit about, um, when I was talking to my partner and I could tell like stuff was going on for him, I just let it be his, I didn't like try to fix him. I didn't try to get into story. I didn't like make this into like a psychoanalysis session where I'm going to do like a lot of labor for him. I just kept sort of saying like, that's not my experience. That's a directness that is a gift of my inner teenager, hundred percent. And then the last thing I have is the resourcefulness that I've been seeing lately. And it's it's things like um, I put my phone on black and white because I have attention deficit disorder and the high color screen gets me going. So I just put my phone on black and white or I turn on ambient noise, just take that silence down a notch to drown the Navy seal out a little bit more. Um, Since my conversation with my partner, I have had therapy. We've talked about the fact that I wasn't heard at all. And I've come to the conclusion, I want to find a therapist we can see together so I can figure out where the disconnect is. And even if the only thing I learn is like, well, it turns out the disconnect's not on my side and my partner can't adjust and hear me because he gets too threatened. Well, that'll be useful information. And so I've been online looking at my insurance company website for like the inexpensive couples therapist, because all I need is a pair of ears and a body that can hear and reflect back what two human beings are saying. I don't need to find like a guru. I don't need to find like some mystical, perfect marriage counselor. I just need to find someone we can see who can reflect back what I'm saying. And if I'm not hearing back what I'm saying, maybe I'm really bad at communication. Maybe I'm open to that. I just want results. Um, again, I think that's, that's in her teenager, Kate. She just, she's not going to get into like whose fault it is or what does it mean that it's like this? She just doesn't want to do this anymore. She just doesn't want to do this anymore. And she's really not in story around what does it mean to be in couples counseling? She's not in story about what it means to not be heard by her partner. She wasn't heard by her partner. That was super frustrating. We're gonna try some other stuff instead. Um, Yeah, she's just like, she's just super resilient, super resourceful and she keeps pushing me to be more and more and more authentic. So like there's my grandmother cleaned houses for a living and there's this really sort of toxic, I am my domestic perfection and I have no other value and cross out delete scratch out erase no no i am a person who can be calmed by cleaning and when i'm calmed by cleaning we'll do some cleaning and when i get agitated and perfectionistic and spiral we're not gonna clean because that's toxic and that is buying into a story not necessary so our house we don't have our christmas tree set up yet our dining room table where we're going to have christmas dinner is still pretty much covered with mail and boxes um, my plans for like the next three days, tomorrow, we're going to do some grocery shopping. We're going to buy some buns, literally the mall cinnamon roll, because that's luxurious for me to heat up mall cinnamon rolls in the morning. Those are going to be my breakfast for the next couple of days. Might get some cupcakes for dessert. I don't know. Do our grocery shopping, come home, tidy where I have the energy to tidy. Don't where I don't not gonna get in my head about what it looks like not gonna get my head about what it says about me as a person if our dining room table is like three quarters cleared and then like there's this like rim of like unopened mail and shit. okay fine that's fine i'm not gonna like live some like impossible not in real life version of myself um i've been working on something creatively that's really anchored to what I love and what I value. And it has none of the perfectionism that was grinding me to a halt. And I haven't worked on it for a couple of weeks because I've been teaching. And my feeling about it is it's there. It'll be there when I get back to it. It'll get there. It'll be there when I get back to it. I don't have to be a perfectionist about it. I don't have to freak out. It's gonna be fine. So I'm just, I have a little, I have a little alter here of things. I'm gonna turn on my C self view so that I have a sense of what my camera is picking up another adaptation. I hide show self-view because I i feel like it just distracts me and I don't focus. But this is this is little Kate. Look at her pigtails. Oh my god, what a sweetheart. Um and this is a, a book that little Kate wrote when she was in kindergarten um Princess Katie. Uh and it's got a little story in it that my 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 kindergarten teacher typed up for me and then I drew the illustrations. So I'm I'm working on honoring little Kate. And I don't know what little inner teen Kate is going to need. I have a a coaster from the Star Wars themed bar in Disneyland. That might be her thing. Because her thing is like, she's extremely into like, what if Carrie Fisher and Princess Leia are the same person? Like an addict and in recovery and foul mouth, but also a princess and in space and her boss. Like maybe that's who she is. So we've got this. Maybe there's more to come, I don't know. Um, But, oh, and I I have a TARDIS. This is a police box from England because teen Kate fucking loved British science fiction and her family was like, this has terrible production values, why are we watching it? These actors all have terrible teeth. This is not how to invite a conversation with a teenager. So I have my little TARDIS to say like, you know what? British science fiction is awesome and you can like it if you want to. So it's a conversation. I'm not sure where she's gonna leave me. I don't, I don't know if we're gonna like have like a, a explosion where she's just gonna get hangrier than I can handle or give her outlet for, but I'm grateful for her. I love her. She's a new part of me. She's unfamiliar, but I know from the way that I've taken care of my little Kate, I can take care of teen Kate. I can. And also she is going to understand if I admit I don't know what I'm doing and I'm scared and I'm afraid I'm going to screw up because it was the faking, like nothing was wrong and everything is perfect. And this is how parents are supposed to be in like the big encyclopedia of perfect parenting that undermined my whole sense of self, just not having reality reflected at me. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to just admitting sometimes, yeah, that's you're absolutely right. Teen Kate, I fucked that up. Yeah, I feel like I gave her her time. I hope she feels heard. I'm really grateful for the opportunity to speak with you guys. Um, Thank you so much for letting me be here. And I'll stop there. Thank you.